and we are on lesson two of our fall quarter, and that is uh, Ezekiel. the The title of the lesson is a preview of Israel's future. So, in the midst of judgment, there's a little interspersion of some good news, and that is we'll be covering Ezekiel chapters eight through twelve. The quarterly covers the second half of chapter 11 and chapter 12. So that means that chapters 8, 9, 10, and the first half of 11 are not covered. So let me just, we'll be starting in chapter 11, verse uh, 16. But let me just give an overview of these chapters that were skipped. So chapter 8. Oh, we didn't pray about this. Lord, we pray. We thank you for Ezekiel's prophecy. We thank you that uh, Emmett still speaks to us today. We thank you for the unfulfilled prophecies in Ezekiel, which are still to come. And we pray that as we look at this, that you will, uh, your Holy Spirit will illuminate the scripture for us that we may understand it. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. So yeah, Ezekiel chapter 8. So Ezekiel saw the form of God as he did before, with uh, from the loins up, like gold, like uh, metal, uh, glowing metal, and from the loins down, fire. Remember, he was confined to his house in her last uh, lesson, and so he was there with... He, Elders were visiting him there when this happened. God grabbed him by his hair in a vision and took him to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, he saw an idol in the temple court, pagan idol. And then the Lord said, I will show you greater abominations than these. He's told him this three times. Then he took him to see multiple idols carved in the walls of the temple with leaders burning incense to them. Then again, the Lord told him, I will show you greater abominations than these. Then he took him to the gate of the temple where he saw women weeping for Tammuz. So that was a form of idol worship in the temple. And then God told him, I will show you greater abominations than these. So the Lord's just stacking them up. And then he showed him men, which uh, appear to be priests, bowing down, facing away from the temple toward the east and worshiping the sun. And then the Lord says, because of these things, he will show no pity on Israel. You know, and that goes along with what he said to Jeremiah. Uh, more than once, do not pray for this people. I will show them no pity. Do not pray. So that was chapter 8. So then, continuing the vision in chapter 9, Ezekiel saw six angels and then a seventh angel with a, like a writing kit. And the one with the writing kit was told to mark those uh, people in Jerusalem who were saddened by the sin there 
with a mark on their foreheads, and they were to be spared, and he was told by God to kill everyone else. And God told them to defile the temple with the slain, so throw the dead bodies in the temple. And again, the Lord said he would have no pity on Jerusalem. No pity. And that is uh, the summary of chapter 9. Then in chapter 10, the angel with the writing case was told by God to get fire from among the cherubim, which were part of the throne chariot of God. So the four cherubim with the wheels and the uh, sapphire platform, or the clear platform above it with the throne on top and God sitting on top. Okay, so there was fire in, amongst them. And this angel was told to get fire from there and scatter the fire around the city, you know, symbolizing judgment on the city. And then there was a description of God's throne chariot again, uh, you know, a lot of descriptions of the cherubim and, and what they were doing. And then his glory was preparing to leave the temple. So at, in the chapter 10 of Jerusalem, God's glory left the temple. Um, and God's glory will not come back to the temple. You know, the third temple that the Jews are preparing to build right now will not have God's glory because they're building it in unbelief. They will start the sacrificial system uh, probably as part of this uh, peace deal with the Antichrist, I'm thinking. You know, I don't know that for certain. It's not spelled out in the Bible. But I can't imagine that the Muslims would go along with that without some strong man forcing them to do it, you know. So, uh, but, so the temple will be functioning, but without God's glory, without God's presence in it, the third temple, and then the Antichrist will desecrate it. And then I came across that you know the word Ichabod, the name Ichabod. Ichabod, you know, we remember Ichabod from Ichabod Crane, the headless horseman. Uh, Ichabod means the glory has departed. And Phinehas's wife, back in Shiloh, when the ark was captured, Phinehas and his brother Hophni were killed. And when Eli heard this news, he fell back and broke his neck and died. And then Phinehas's wife gave birth, and she died in childbirth, and she named her son Ichabod, meaning the glory had departed. So that, that, that is what Ichabod means. It's not a good word. So you wonder about the guy in... Uh, Wrote the headless horseman, or if, did any has anyone ever named their kid Ichabod? It <laughs> sounds like a bad thing to name your son. There was a guy on the radio. So then, chapter eleven, verses one through fifteen. This is continuing this vision. Um, God showed Ezekiel twenty-five leaders in Jerusalem. They give evil advice saying that they would be protected in Jerusalem. Remember, Jeremiah was prophesying to surrender to the Babylonians. Jeremiah and Ezekiel were contemporaries. You know, Ezekiel was prophesying in Babylon. 
Well, Jeremiah, toward the end of his career, was prophesying in Jerusalem. Jeremiah was telling them to surrender to the Babylonians and they would be saved. And so they treated him as a traitor. And uh, so Ezekiel saw these 25 leaders in Jerusalem saying they would be protected in Jerusalem. So they were disagreeing with Jeremiah. And then the Lord says, no, you will not in this vision. You will be judged at the border of Israel. So you will not be protected in Jerusalem. You will be, and that was fulfilled literally because they, people were taken up to Riblah, which is in northern Israel at the border where Nebuchadnezzar was, and they were killed in front of him. And Zedekiah's sons were killed in front of him. All of his officials were killed in front of him, and his eyes were put out there. So that prophecy came to pass. And God told Ezekiel to prophesy in his vision. And while he was prophesying, one of these 25 leaders named Pelatiah died as he was prophesying. And then I just wanted to point out Chapter 11, verse 5. This is something that, this is something about God that we need to know. Then the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me, and he said to me, Say, Thus says the Lord, so you think, house of Israel, for I know your thoughts. God knows our thoughts. It said that about Jesus in John chapter 2, that Jesus did not give himself over to these new believers because he knew their thoughts and they were not ready for him to trust them yet. So God knows our thoughts. Of course, we all know that, right? But this is the proof of it, or one of the proofs of it right here in Ezekiel 11 verse 5. God knows our thoughts before we spell them out. He knows us very well. Okay, so now we're ready to start the lesson. <laughs> so section A, Israel's return is promised. And that is chapter 11, verses 16 through 25. Does somebody want to read that? Okay, thank you. Yeah, so in verse 16, Therefore say, Thus says the Lord God, Though I had removed them far away among the nations, and though I had scattered them among the countries, yet I was a sanctuary for them a little while in the countries where they had gone. See, the, the leaders in Jerusalem were saying, We don't need to run away. We'll be protected here in Jerusalem. Um, because God's temple is here. So the Babylonian exiles were the ones who had God's presence, not the Jews in Jerusalem. That's what he said right there. He would be a sanctuary for them in the countries where they had gone. And that's where Jeremiah 29, verse 11 comes in. It says, I will prosper you there, right? To give you a hope and a future. Jeremiah 29.11 says that. That is the context of it. The exiles in Babylon. It is The context is not the church. And 
that goes along with what Jeremiah was saying. So in Jeremiah 24, verse 5, he says, get to the right part. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, like these good figs, so I will regard as good the captives of Judah, whom I have sent out of this place into the land of the Chaldeans. Those are the people Ezekiel was talking to. That he says in verse 8, But like the bad figs, which cannot be eaten due to rottenness, indeed, thus says the Lord, so I will abandon Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his officials, and the remnant of Jerusalem who remain in this land, and the ones who dwell in the land of Egypt. Remember, after Jerusalem was taken, the people in uh, Judah asked Jeremiah to go to the Lord and ask them what they should do. The Lord told them to stay, and they said no. And they went to Egypt. Well, the Lord would destroy them in Egypt. He would protect them where they were. So they went to Egypt, and they got destroyed. <laughs> that is what we do in our flesh. So verse 17 says of Ezekiel now, Therefore say, Thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries among which you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. So this prophecy is going beyond what is happening right here. Right? Because they are taken into Babylon in a single location. Here he's saying, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries, plural, among which you have been scattered. When did that happen? See, they went to Babylon. They came back from Babylon. They were scattered when Titus came, after they rejected their Messiah. Titus of Rome came. They rejected their Messiah, and that created a worldwide dispersion that has lasted for 2,000 years and just now is starting to reverse, starting in May 14, 1948, when Israel became a country again. So verse 17 is going beyond what is hap happening in Babylon when he prophesied it. Then verse 18, when they come there, back to Israel, they will remove all its detestable things and all its abominations from it. So that's verse 18. Now, they have come back. They have started to come back. Are they removing all detestable things and abominations from Israel right now? There's a lot of abominations going on in Israel right now. There's gay pride in Israel right now. So they're not doing that at this moment. So that this is looking at the final regathering in belief, when they come back in belief, and that will be the end of the tribulation. So I would say that verse 18, going onward, you know, verse 17, um, you know, we see them starting to come back now. But when they come back to remove all the detestable things and abominations, that is still future. And verse 19 says, I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them, and I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. So what does that mean? What is that? There's a certain covenant 
that was given that speaks of that. Right, so we have the Abrahamic covenant, which we just learned about last week from Dane. And the Abrahamic covenant has three sub-covenants. One is for the land. One is for the seed, or, you know, Jesus. And one is for blessing. And the blessing covenant is called the new covenant. The new covenant was prophesied by Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31, 31. He says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. With the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, but this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. So that is what Ezekiel is speaking of here in verse 19, the new covenant. The new covenant has yet to come upon national Israel. But since the church age, the church has been participating in this new covenant. And we all here are participants in the new covenant. Didn't Jesus say, this is the new covenant in my blood? He did. So that is in Matthew 26, 26 through 28. Matthew 26, verses 26 through 28. Yeah. So while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. See, the new covenant was ratified like the Abrahamic covenant was ratified by blood. The Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 15 is ratified by the sacrifice of five animals. And they divided them in two, and God walked between the pieces. Jesus ratified the new covenant in his blood. And so it is good. So the church does not fulfill the new, co the new covenant. We participate in the new covenant, but it will be fulfilled by national Israel when they are all saved. Everyone at the end of the tribulation period. And what he's talking about here is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That happens eternally. And this happens to us in the church age now, that all of Israel uh, who survived the tribulation will have this. There will not be an unbelieving Jew on earth. So then in verse 20... This is what the New Covenant allows. 
and we can participate in this now. That they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them, then they will be my people and I shall be their God. The new covenant for us gives us the ability to walk in the Spirit. It doesn't force us to walk in the Spirit. We can still go back to our sin nature, and I, I would say the majority of Christians do. They stay in their old nature. They believe that they do what they feel like, or they have partial obedience or something like that. You know, um, That might be too harsh. You think that might be too harsh? Could be. Maybe it's not the majority. I don't know how, how many. But I think the uh, you know there's a much greater number of believers than there is a number of disciples. The number of disciples are those who are allowing the Holy Spirit to mold them and to guide them. And those uh, are the ones who keep his ordinances, walk in his statutes, and maintain fellowship with the Lord. Um, and those are the ones who are blessed in this life. And probably th those are the ones who are persecuted the most in this life because that draws out persecution when you're walking with the Lord. So just like you were talking about earlier, I'm sure she's saved. She's not walking, right? You can tell that by her thought processes. Anyway, that's our goal, really, as uh, believers after salvation. And that's what this class on Tuesdays is. The spiritual life is how... Because it's not, it's not a torturous thing to do this. It is not a torturous thing to remain because we have the Holy Spirit to empower us. It's impossible to do it in the flesh. But if you do it, walk by the Spirit, it is not difficult. So anyway, then verse 21, But as for those whose hearts go after their detestable things and abominations, I will bring their conduct down on their heads, declares the Lord God. So you reap what you sow. Right? That's what he's saying there. That is true for the believer and for the unbeliever. That is true universally. So if you're a believer and, you know, we were coming to church today and people were going on, passing us on wall or at, I don't know how fast they were going, it's real fast. So if you're a believer doing that, Say you're late for church and you're going 80 miles an hour on the way to church and you get stopped by a cop. And the cop is pulled over and, he's, and you tell the cop, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. <laughs> he will ignore you, right? So you, you reap what, yeah, you reap what you sow. So Galatians 6 and 7, the one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. That is true for everyone, believer and unbeliever. Then verses 22 through 24, this is the cherubim lifted up their wings. With the wheels beside them, the glory of the God of Israel hovered over them. Then the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood over the mountain, which is east of the city. That's the Mount of Olives. And the Spirit lifted me up and brought me in a vision by the Spirit of God to the exiles in Chaldea. So that was the time when the glory left the temple uh, before the final destruction of Jerusalem. God's glory left. 
the temple, and he left the people to their fate with no pity. Eventually, judgment comes. And by the way, the Mount of Olives is where he will return in the form of Jesus, the Messiah. He will come. He'll first go to Basra. He'll rescue the Jews there. He'll come up, probably slaughtering as he goes. And he will stand on the mountain. His foot will touch the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives will split with an earthquake. And he will, um, the glory of the temple will come back. Glory will, in the form of Jesus, will come back to the temple. So then, that was quite a vision. So then, Ezekiel kind of came to where he was. His body never left his house. Then I told the exiles all the things the Lord had shown me. So any comments about that? God will regather Israel. He's telling them, Ezekiel has been telling them, this is going to happen, that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. But he will not forget them, and they will return, and he will give them this new covenant. Okay, so we're on chapter 12 now. Section B is Israel's exile is symbolized. So this is chapter 12, verses 1 through 16. This is where Ezekiel will act out two more signs or skits. So how about I read that one? That's 1 through 16 of chapter 12. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, you live in the midst of, a, of the rebellious house, who have eyes to see but do not see, ears to hear but do not hear, for they are a rebellious house. Therefore, son of man, prepare for yourself baggage for exile, and go into exile by day in their sight. Even go into exile from your place to another place in their sight. Perhaps they will understand, though they are a rebellious house. Bring your baggage out by day in their sight as baggage for exile. Then you'll go out at evening in their sight as those going into exile. So he's to do this twice a day. Dig a hole through the wall in their sight and go out through it. Load the baggage on your shoulder in their sight and carry it out in the dark. You shall cover your face so that you cannot see the land, for I have set you as a sign to the house of Israel. I did so as I had been commanded. By day I brought out my baggage like the baggage of an exile. Then in the evening I dug through the wall with my hands I went out in the dark and carried the baggage on my shoulder in their sight. In the morning the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, has not the house of Israel, the rebellious house, said to you, What are you doing? Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, This burden concerns the prince in Jerusalem, as well as all the house of Israel who are in it. Say, I am assigned to you, as I have done, so it will be done to them. They will go into exile, into captivity. The prince who is among them will load his baggage on his shoulder in the dark and go out. They'll dig a hole through the wall to bring it out. He will cover his face so that he cannot see the land with his eyes. I will also spread my net over him, and he will be caught in my snare. And I will bring him to Babylon, in the land of the Chaldeans. Yet he will not see it, though he will die there. I will scatter to every wind all who are around him, his helpers and all his troops, and I will draw out a sword after them, 
so they will know that I am the Lord when I scatter them among the nations and spread them among the countries. But I will spare a few of them from the sword, the famine, and the pestilence, that they may tell all their abominations among the nations where they go, and may know that I am the Lord. Verse 2, Son of man, you live in the midst of the rebellious house, who have eyes to see but do not see, ears to hear but do not hear, for they are a rebellious house. The quarterly made a comment about this, which I thought was good. In the face of rampant disobedience today, we could imagine God saying, what do I have to do to get their attention? God's word is complete. The message is clear. Yet so many refuse to believe it or act upon it. That is what was happening in Jerusalem. That is what is happening today. So in verse 3, Therefore, son of man, prepare for yourself baggage for exile, and go into exile by day in their sight, even go into exile from your place to another place. So, you know, he was in house arrest, but here the Lord was told him to go out for a skit. So he was in the daytime to pack a bag and go and walk somewhere to another place to pro provoke the exiles in Babylon to say, what are you doing? <laughs> that, that was the purpose of it. So yeah, go out by day. And then in the evening, there was to be a wall, I guess a, a, a mud wall or a, or a dirt wall that he was to dig a hole through and have baggage on him and go out with his eyes covered with his face covered so he can't see the land. Okay, and the the whole idea is to make the exiles ask what is what is happening. That's right. So Ezekiel obeyed, that's in verse 7. I did so as I had been commanded. By day I brought up my baggage like the baggage of an exile. Then in the evening I dug through the wall with my hands. I went out in the dark and carried the baggage on my shoulder in their sight. Then the Lord in verses 8 and 9 has asked, Have they asked you what you're doing? So anyway, in verse uh, 7, Ezekiel obeyed God. He told them to do you know, crazy things, all these skits, but he did it. So what are some of the things that we are to obey? What are some things that God has told us to do as Christians? Here's some examples. This is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2 through 4. Walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. We should be loving people. Immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. So we should reject any form of immorality that includes pornography, that includes um, promiscuity, um, you know, anything like that, adultery. We should reject greed. We do not want to be greedy. On the contrary, we want to be generous people. 
and there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. So, you know, this is a rough one. This is like dirty jokes. We're to avoid dirty jokes. Um, they are not fitting. And, uh, you know, profanity, we're to avoid profanity. But we are to be giving of thanks at all times. So these are some of the things the Lord has told us to do. I don't think those are as difficult as drilling through a mud wall at night <laughs> or laying on your side for 390 days. Those are not too difficult to do. So, um, and these are, these are just a few. One of the things is we're to meet together. In chapters uh, 4 through 6 of Ephesians have 38 commands. 38 commands. So, um, yeah, another thing we are to do is to meet together, and that's in Hebrews 4, 24 and 25, to encourage each other toward love and good deeds. That's why we go to church, because the Lord wants us to go to church. Another thing we are to do is to understand the Bible. We are to be experts in Scripture. And that was, uh, I think it was last month, our memory verse. 2 Timothy 2.15 Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. We want to be experts in the Bible and what it says. That is what the Lord has told us to do. So verse 9 yeah, that's where he said, has not the rebellious house said to you, what are you doing? So he wants to promote curiosity. Verse 10 says, Thus says the Lord God, This burden concerns the prince in Jerusalem. That's the evening skit. As well as all the house of Israel who are in it, say, I am assigned to you as I have done, so it will be done to them. They will go into exile, into captivity. The prince who is among them, his name was Zedekiah. He's calling him a prince, not the king here. He will load his baggage on his shoulder in the dark and go out. They will dig a hole through the wall to bring it out. He will cover his face so that he cannot see the land with his eyes. Do you remember why that is? Yeah. I will also spread my net over him, and he will be caught in my snare, and I will bring him to Babylon in the land of the Chaldeans. Yet he will not see it, though he will die there. I will scatter to every wind all who are around him, his helpers, and all his troops, and I will draw out a sword after them. This happened literally and very specifically in 2 Kings 25. 2 Kings 25, 1 through 7. Now in the ninth year of his reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came. He and all his army against Jerusalem camped against it and built a siege wall all around it. So the city was under siege until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. On the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then the city was broken into. All the men of war fled by night by way of the gate between the two walls beside the king's garden, though the Chaldeans were all around the city, and they went by way of the Arabah. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king, and overtook him in the plains of Jericho, and all his army was scattered from him. 
Then they captured the king and brought him to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and he passed sentence on him. They slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, then put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him with bronze fetters and brought him to Babylon. That's why Ezekiel covered his face, because Zedekiah would lose his eyes and wouldn't be able to see. So this is um, verse 15. So they will know that I am the Lord when I scatter them among the nations and spread them among the countries. Fulfilled predictive prophecy like this lets us know that the Bible comes from God. So there's a comment by this in uh, the quarterly. So many Christians today are like the Israelites during Ezekiel's time. They persist in their disobedience until God is forced to discipline their sin. The Lord's desire is to guide his children with a tender, loving hand. Unfortunately, too many of his children insist upon doing things the hard way. Many have to be knocked flat on their backs by divine discipline before they will look up to God for direction in their lives. That was my story. And I'm so glad he did it, because things are much better (laughs) when you follow the Lord. Okay, so that's the end of that section. Anything else about that? I mean, that is so specific, you know. That's how we can trust the prophecies like we went over last quarter in Revelation, that they will be just as specific. So section C, Israel's judgment guaranteed. That's verses 17 through 28. Somebody want to read that part? Remember, um, Ezekiel is prophesying to the good folks in Babylon, and he's being very harsh with them. Yeah, so... Um, <laughs> no, so here's kind of another skit here um, in verses 17 through 20. Son of man, eat your bread with trembling and drink your water with quivering and anxiety. So he's supposed to eat and drink shaking. Then say to the people of the land, thus says the Lord. So he here it's going beyond the exiles. He's saying to the people of the land. So the Lord knew this would get out of Babylon. Concerning the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the land of Israel, they will eat their bread with anxiety and drink their water with horror because their land will be stripped of its fullness on account of the violence of all who live in it. That's the reasoning. They were violent. The inhabited cities will be laid waste and the land will be a desolation. So, bless you, so you will know that I am the Lord. Eat bread with trembling, drink water with quivering. This will happen in Jerusalem when it's laid waste. You know, they'll be afraid. In verse 21 through verse 25, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, what is this proverb, you people? Bless you. This proverb, you people, have concerning the land of Israel, saying the days are long and every vision fails. So they were saying, much like the people in, uh, I think it's Second Peter says, where is the promise of his coming? They were saying this isn't going to happen. This prophecy won't happen. That's what they're saying. 
Every vision fails. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord. And now, the Lord had been prophesying to them for hundreds of years about this. Micah prophesied about it in the time of Hezekiah. So it's it has been a long time. Okay. But the Lord is telling them, you know, I may warn you ahead of time, but that doesn't mean it won't happen. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, Ezekiel was the latest. So, anyway, where was I at here? But tell them, the days draw near as well as the fulfillment of every vision, for there will no longer be any false vision or flattering divination within the house of Israel. For I, the Lord, will speak, and whatever word I speak will be performed. It will no longer be delayed. For in your days, O rebellious house, I will speak the word and perform it, declares the Lord. So remember when he did this prophecy. I believe we're still in the fifth year since Jehoiachin came to Israel and with Ezekiel with him. And that was in 592. This happened in 586. So it was six years away. This prophecy was six years away. It wasn't a thousand and six years away. It wasn't 506 years away. It was six years away. It said it will come in your lifetime. So they're saying it won't happen. And then verse 26 and verse 27, Furthermore, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, behold, the house of Israel is saying the vision that he sees is for many years. So, First they said, it won't happen at all. And then they said, it won't happen for a long time. We don't have to worry about it. It won't happen for many years from now. And he prophesies of time far off. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord God, none of my words will be delayed any longer. Whatever word I speak will be performed. So eventually, God's word, God's prophecies come to pass. And uh, Ezekiel was telling them, you know, there's not time to dilly-dally any longer. We want to pay attention to God's prophecies. And while we wait, you know, we wait for the rapture. That's what we wait for. While we wait, we want to be faithful to the Lord and to his commands to us. And not in our own flesh. We can't do it in our own flesh. We just have to trust the Holy Spirit to empower us as we meditate on his word, that he will guide us in how he would like us to act and what he would like us to do. And we'll be blessed by that while we're waiting. So, Lord, we thank you for Ezekiel and his prophecies, which came to pass extremely literally. And we know that the prophecies yet future will come to pass extremely literally as well. So we pray that while we are waiting, that we would be walking in the Spirit and doing exactly what you would like us to do, that we might glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.